He doesn't have the final word. Amen. The cross does. I like what the songwriter Carmen used to say years ago, when the devil reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. This is somewhat of a Good Friday service for us here at Glad Tidings. We'd like to take the Sunday before Easter to commemorate the cross and to focus on the cross so that we just kind of carry that preparation, that thought into the Easter week, Easter Sunday, and uh, we just feel that it's a meaningful thing to do. I want to read from Luke 22. We have an account where Jesus is with his disciples in the garden, Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, the night that he was to be betrayed, and of course the events began to unfold from that time, and Jesus was speaking with his disciples, and we pick up in verse 47 of Luke 22, no sooner had he finished speaking when suddenly a mob approached, and right in front of the mob was his disciple Judas. He walked up close to Jesus and greeted him with a kiss. For he had agreed to give the religious leaders a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the one to seize. Jesus looked at him with sorrow and said, A kiss, Judas? Are you really going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples understood what was happening, they asked, Lord, shall we fight them with our swords? And just then one of the disciples swung his sword at the high priest's servant and slashed off his right ear. Jesus stopped the incident from escalating any further by shouting, Stop! That's enough of this! Then he touched the right side of the injured man's head, and the ear grew back. He was healed. Jesus turned to those who had come to seize him, the ruling priests, the officers of the temple police, and the religious leaders, and he said, Am I a criminal that you come to capture me with clubs and swords? Wasn't I with you day after day teaching in the temple courts? You should have seized me at any time. You could have seized me at any time. But in the darkness of night, you have now found your time, for it belongs to you and to the prince of darkness. And then in John 18, we have the same account. This one verse sheds a bit more light. Suddenly, Peter took out his sword and struck the high priest's servant, slashing off his right ear. And the servant's name was Melchus. You know, in the events that surrounded the arrest of Jesus and the subsequent crucifixion, we never stopped to consider how difficult it must have been for those who were commissioned with the task of arresting this innocent man. They were the ones who were to carry out the orders of the religious leaders who had orchestrated this whole charade. Uh, you would think that the temple guards would be the calmest ones in the mob to arrest this street preacher who they know had not done anything, and yet the scripture tells us that the whole mob, the temple police included, came with torches in the, in the darkness of the night, and they came with, with swords and with clubs. And you may wonder why. I think personally because they were afraid of what might be the reaction of Jesus and his followers. Jesus had a great following, and once people, of course, word got out of what these people had done, that somewhere between the... Uh, garden and, and through the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem, that word may have spread and there might have been maybe hundreds if not thousands who would come and riot. And so they were probably very nervous if not terrified. But we know in reading the scriptures that Jesus had no intention of resisting arrest that night because he knew that all of this was according to God's plan. Jesus said in the verse we just read, in the darkness of night you have now found your time, for it belongs to you, that is the darkness of the night and to the prince of darkness. 
John would tell us in his account of the same story in chapter 18 that Jesus, knowing full well what was about to happen, he went out to the garden entrance to meet them. It's interesting. Jesus went to them. In effect, what the scripture is saying is that Jesus went out to those who had come to arrest him and basically was saying, here I am, boys. Take me to those who have sent you. John tells us, in fact, that when they were looking for Jesus, because many of them wouldn't even know who he was, they were just given the order. Judas was the one who had to identify who Jesus was. That when they came and Jesus said, basically, what do you want? They said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus simply said, I am he. And when he said that, every single one of them fell backward onto the ground. And they didn't just trip up, up on themselves. They, they weren't just, you know, surprised and all of a sudden lost their balance. No, what had happened was that they were stunned by the very power of God because when Jesus, the great I am, declared his name, I am he, that immediately the power of the Holy Spirit just hit that crowd and they were knocked to the ground. In fact, Jesus, the Bible says, is the captain of the Lord's armies. And what that tells me is that they would not have been able to seize him that night if Jesus did not allow them, if the Father was not in control of that situation. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew's account in chapter 26, he says, don't you realize that I can call to my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. If I didn't want this to happen, it wouldn't happen. Which really reminds us what an incredible Savior Jesus is, that he would submit himself to the whims of these evil men because he wanted to bring us the gift of salvation. Now, in the midst of this, of course, Peter was the one who became very excited. He couldn't believe that Jesus was letting this happen because Peter had his own ideas of what Jesus was there to do. We remember that in another time where, where Jesus actually had to rebuke Peter. And once again, he does that because Peter, in just this fit of rage and nervousness, he takes out his dagger from the sheath and he just begins swinging. In fact, probably one of the greatest miracles of that night is that Peter didn't get, get himself killed. But he didn't. Jesus intervenes. Jesus quiets down the crowd. He restores peace. But not before Peter actually gets a piece of the man who had come to arrest Jesus named Malchus, and he ended up cutting off his ear. Now, Malchus was a servant of the high priest, Caiaphas, who had sent them to find Jesus and to arrest them. And it's probably safe to say that uh, Malchus probably himself had nothing against Jesus, maybe not, didn't even know who he was. He was simply following orders. And so after that incident of him losing his ears, you can imagine the pain that he's in, Jesus actually takes Malchus aside, he rebukes Peter, and he reaches out, and the scripture says he makes the ear grow back. He restores the ear. And do you know where Malchus went after that? He and the temple police, the temple guard, they take Jesus back to the house of Caiaphas to report on the success of the mission. Now, the actual healing of Melchizedek's ear, it's just kind of mentioned in passing in the scripture. It's an important part for this morning's purposes, but it's really just a small part of the larger narrative of all that was taking place that particular night. But I don't think the incident itself was lost on those who had seen it. 
I don't think the impact of what happened at that moment was quickly forgotten by those who had witnessed that miracle, who had witnessed this man, Jesus, whom they were assuming was going to resist arrest, had his disciples, who knows how many others were in the region, came fearfully to arrest him, but instead they see this Jesus and his compassionate response to the very person who had come to arrest him and subsequently would lead him to his crucifixion. Now, I can kind of imagine Caiaphas anxiously waiting for this group to report back to them on how things went. And I can imagine when they, when they finally get back, the guards and, and Malchus, they, they come into his home. We were there in, in, in Israel when we visited a few months ago, and, and it's quite a, a nice home, a lavish home, but the hole downstairs is turned into a dungeon where prisoners were kept, at least until they were to uh, go through their trial. And so I can imagine that Caiaphas is there waiting just to see how things happen. And, and then a few of them kind of break into the home. They, they come before Caiaphas and he says, how did it go? And they say, well, it went well without any real incident. And then they kind of look at Melchus. <laughs> well, except Melchus, you know, he had a bit of a run in. Uh, actually, one of the disciples of Jesus uh, lost his temper and swung at Agar and cut his ear off. And I can kind of imagine Caiaphas saying something like, well, that you know, goes to show that troublemaker Jesus. See, we need to arrest him and his band of men. They're, they're, they're bad news. And I can imagine Ky uh, Malchus saying, well, sir, that's kind of the problem. You see, this troublemaker that you sent us to arrest, he was actually the one who kind of took our side, and he, he was the one who stopped an uprising. In fact, he was the one who reprimanded his disciples, and after the disciple cut my ear off, he actually touched the side of my head and my ear grew back. And I'm just you know, imagining, but I, I can't help but think that Malchus must have been thinking to himself, though he wouldn't have said it, I'm sure, out loud, but he must have been thinking, uh, do you really think we arrested the right man? Like, what, what, what has this guy done that's wrong? In fact, when I read the story, the thing that surprises me most is that Caiaphas continues on to push through the night into the next day and, and bringing charges against Jesus and wanting him crucified. Because every day after that, when Caiaphas would see his servant Melchus in his service, he had to be thinking about that ear. He had to be thinking, here's a man who said his ear was cut off. Everyone else testifies to that. And every single day when I look at him, I see this ear the size of Mount Everest. Just kind of there. I really think there's a reason why God bothers to go into such detail as to who that servant was. I think what the scripture is telling us is how much God loves, how much God cares about even people like Caiaphas. Even hateful, you know, vindictive, malicious people who maybe even hate God, how much God still loves them. And I can't help but wonder if that incident that night might have been God's last message to Caiaphas, the high priest, to give him irrefutable evidence as to who Jesus really is. And Caiaphas had to make the decision in the midst of what must have been testified that night. He had to make the decision, do I accept this man Jesus as our Messiah or do I reject him? You see, Caiaphas wasn't actually historically the true high priest. He was an acting high priest, but he wasn't a high priest after the order of Aaron. Caiaphas was an appointee by the Roman government who, of course, was uh, occupying Israel in that day. 
And if you can imagine, you've seen some of the clips in the Middle East and some of the Muslim countries and so on, the, just the mobs and the craziness that can happen. The same would have been true very much in the culture of Israel in those days. And so the Romans were occupying that land and they needed peace because they knew how volatile things were. They knew that you had this nation that was like a tinderbox. You had Roman soldiers who were working their slave, you know, working in the heat of the sun. It just, they didn't want to be there. They hated the Jewish people. They hated being there. They wanted to be back home like any kind of occupying force. They wanted to be with their families. They had to be here among these people that they just couldn't keep peace. There were these zealots that were there. And so what the Romans did is that they allowed the temple priest to have a, a modicum of, of control over the temple order, the worship, uh, the little bit that they had, but under the, under the uh, condition that they would control the people. And so Caiaphas was someone who was appointed into that position by the Romans in order to do just that. It was also a very lucrative position. Archaeologists have discovered that Caiaphas and his associates, they lived a, a luxurious life. They enjoyed a lot of wealth. They had lavish homes, something, of course, they would have grown accustomed to over the years. And so you understand that Caiaphas couldn't afford to allow some upstart prophet like Jesus make trouble if he wants to stay in power, if he wants to uh, preserve a comfortable lifestyle, especially during the Passover weekend. Because during the Passover weekend, the greatest festival in the Jewish calendar, you would have over two million worshipers coming to Jerusalem. And so the city was filled to overflowing. And these worshipers, they might actually follow this Jesus who claims to be the Messiah and just bring this, you know, uprising against the Romans. And so you can kind of imagine in a small way how volatile that entire weekend might be. And so Caiaphas, he sends out the temple guard to arrest Jesus. But when they return, Caiaphas has to make a conscious decision to either accept or to reject the evidence that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah. And one of the pieces of evidence that he had was the healing of Malchus's ear, his servant. My point this morning is a very simple one. But I'm absolutely convinced that in every person's life, every person who has ever lived, there is a Malchus's ear. In every single one of our lives, there was a silent witness in our heart. Just as Melchus was in Caiaphas' home, there's this silent witness in our life that God has placed there that says that Jesus is who he says he is. And that Jesus is worthy, deserving of our full devotion. I really believe this morning that if you're here and you have yet to submit yourself to Jesus Christ, you have yet to submit yourself to his claim of being the Savior, of dying in your place for your sin, that somewhere in your life there is a sign that is as obvious to you, if you are honest, it is inescapable to you as, as Malchus's ear was. And if you don't make your life right with God, then one day you will stand before the Lord. He's your Savior, your Creator, your judge. And I believe the scripture says that that sign, that undeniable evidence, it will be there to judge you. You will know. You will know that you had evidence that you rejected. Jesus said that whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. He is judged already. 
Because you know that God has made a message to you that is very, very clear. And you have consciously chosen either to reject it or to suppress it or to ignore it. You know that it's there. And friends, that can happen to those of us who are followers of Jesus. It doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. But there are things he speaks to us. There are things he shows us. There are things he reminds us about. Sometimes we get caught up in life and the Lord will show us something that reminds us of the brevity of life. It reminds us of what we're investing in our life in, that it doesn't matter, it doesn't count. There are things the Lord will show us that he's doing in our lives, things he'll expose us to by the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is for you. You know it's for you. You know I'm calling you to this. And we too can choose to go through our life and ignore the things that God is clearly showing us. But if you're here this morning and you've never submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I say to you, there is a Malchus's ear in your life. There is something that God has shown you. There's something God has done in your life. There is something God has spoken to your heart that is as obvious as an ear that's been cut off and healed, and you know it. You know that God is real. You know that God is speaking to you. Jesus said it unequivocally in John 3, those who trust in the Son, those who've trusted him, who've submitted to him, he says they possess, present tense, they possess eternal life. What does that mean? It means that the love of God is poured into your heart. And John tells us that when the love of God is poured into your heart, there is no fear of judgment. There is no fear of standing before God one day. The child of God acts forward to seeing Jesus. There is no fear for those who trust in him. They possess that assurance. But those who do not obey the Son do not see life, not only in the life to come, but in this life they do not see the life of God, but God's anger will rise up against them. Now the translation says that God's wrath actually hovers over them. The Greek word translated not obey, he said that those who do not obey the Son will not see life. That, that expression, not obey, it literally means to disregard. It means to not submit to. It carries the idea of apathy, the idea of indifference. And in this context, it portrays this idea of a total lack of concern. A total lack of concern of your lost condition, and even worse, a total lack of concern for the unimaginable gift that Jesus provided for you when he took the wrath of God upon himself so that you could be free. When he says those who do not believe, do not obey the Son, what he's saying is those who've been given the evidence but yet faced with the evidence basically say, I know what you did for me, Jesus, but I don't care. Maybe some other time, but right now I don't care. I have things that I still want to do. I want to be in control of my own life. The Apostle Peter said this, You know that in the past you were living in a worthless way, a way passed down from the people who lived before you, but you were saved from that useless life. You were bought not with something that ruins like gold or silver, but you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus who was like a pure and perfect lamb. The scriptures say in the fact that he did not deserve to die for you, but he chose to die for you, that you might be pure, that you may be reconciled to God. The writer of Hebrews asked this question, so what makes us think that we can escape 
if we ignore this great salvation. And somebody might say, well, I didn't know. He says, no, that's not true. For God confirmed the message by giving you signs or wonders or even miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. You know, in my 37 years of ministry, it has never ceased to amaze me how personally, how uniquely that God works in people's lives to reveal himself to them. It's never ceased to amaze me the unique stories people share in their spiritual journey, how God orchestrated things or dropped things into their lives to show them that he's real, to draw them to himself in a personal relationship. I was speaking with Kevin a few weeks back when we were visiting with him and his lovely wife, Emily. And I was reminded of studying this week of Kevin's story where he said that his journey began. He wasn't somebody who served God, somebody who had a lot of time for God, but there came a moment in his life he had a medical scare that caused him to stop and to reevaluate his life. What's it really all about? What, 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 what's, what's, you know, what's going to happen to me if this prognosis might end up taking my life and I die? Those thoughts were going through his mind. It was a Malchus's air moment. And it could have gone either way. He could have said, oh, well, you know, we'll get through this. We'll fight this. We'll be okay. Faced with the possibility of death. I'm just going to keep on going my own way. He could have done that. But thankfully, he didn't. Instead, he turned to God. And he encountered God in such a powerful way that God changed his life and changed his family. Because he chose to respond to God's grace at that moment. I think of Charlene, who had a chance encounter with a preacher at a funeral home a few years back. She had grown away from the Lord over a period of years. Yet the Lord had never turned his back on her. He was always pursuing her. And at that funeral service, she heard the good news again. And that was a Melchizedek's ear for her. And she could have gone either way. She could have just rejected God's love that was reaching out to her. She could have even just justified in her heart, Lord, I, I know it's true, but I've gone so far. It's just been so long. You know, she could have gone her own way and maybe even been indifferent to what the Lord was doing at that moment. But thankfully, her heart was tender. Her heart was receptive. And she opened her heart to the Lord. And today, she and her husband, they radiate the love of Jesus in their lives. And they share that love with other people. I could relate story after story this morning just like those from people from all different walks of life. And as unique as each person is, as unique as their life experience may be, or their careers, or their background, and even their brokenness, or their baggage, whatever their stories may be, as unique as every person is, so is the unique and unusual way that God placed a Malchus's ear in their life. Something undeniable, something that was personal to them because God knows how to reach us. He knows how to speak to us. And he creates those moments in our lives where we have to choose that either we are going to embrace him, we're going to say, yes, this is true, God, and I turn to you, or else we turn our back on him. Every one of us here today has that moment. I don't know how much you believe in these stories, but I actually have a friend who died at one time, didn't know Christ, and he went to hell. And he said, Paul, two things that I clearly understood. Number one, he said, for the first time ever, in an instant as I was there, 
I understood eternity. He said, I can't even describe it now in my natural mind, but in that dimension, immediately I understood what eternity was. This was never going to end. And the second thing he said I knew was I deserve to be here. There was no defense. As much as I was terrified, as much, you know, he said, I just knew it. This is my lot. I deserve to be here. And it's a wonderful story of God giving him a second chance. And there's just too many things he described outside of the room, in the hallways, in the hospital, that people said there's no way you could have known that when you're on your bed. We lost you. You're back. How did you see those? How did you hear those conversations? You see, God was showing him this was real. And he actually spoke to his parents through that as well as he told them things that they had said down the hall in the guest in the family room, you know, 100 feet away from his room. God gave him that moment. He gave him that Malchus's ear, and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. You know, I think one of the saddest things in this story is Jesus' response to the one who comes and plants that kiss on his cheek. It was one of his disciples whom Jesus dearly loved. It was only a short while before that he actually washed his feet. Matthew says that Jesus turned to Judas at that moment when Judas led the mob to arrest Jesus. And Jesus simply said to Judas, friend, do what you came to do. In other words, Judas, you know the truth. You know that I love you. But the choice has to be your own. It reminds you a little bit of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 where the Bible says that he walked away from Jesus, given the opportunity for eternal life. He walked away from Jesus very sad because he had so much that he felt was at stake that he didn't want to let go. But what's interesting is that Jesus did not chase after him. And in the same way when Judas came, Jesus did not try to change Judas's mind, even though it might have meant saving his own life. Because Judas had made his choice. Friends, do you realize this morning that there comes a time when God stops working in your life. There really does. Now you might say, Pastor, well then how do I know? How do I know that I have time this morning? I'll tell you a very simple test. If you care, then you still have time. If you care. And the reason you care is not because of your own good nature. The re reason you care is because of the scripture says the Father is drawing you. The Holy Spirit is drawing you, Jesus said. You can't come to him unless the Father draws you. And the fact that you're even concerned about it means that at this moment, the Holy Spirit is still speaking to your heart. But don't assume on God's grace. Because he will go as far as he can to reach you. But you must be careful to not find yourself one day in the place of Judas. You may say, oh, pastor, I would never do that. My heart would never be that hard. It may never be. But let me tell you this. You don't have the guarantee of tomorrow. All of us, my friends, we have Malchus's ears in our life. You may say, well, pastor, I can't think of any. No. How about that friend who passed away at a young age? How about that person killed in a car accident? How about that person, everything's going well, money's in the bank, ready for retirement, and all of a sudden diagnosed with stage four cancer? What is that? That's a Malchus's ear. That's God saying to you, look how brief life is. It's like a blade of grass. It grows up. It's gone. You have no guarantee. I'm showing all around you. Listen, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. 
You don't have time. You don't have any guarantee. I had a friend in high school, 19 years old, in the washroom at home before school, brushing her head. Here, drops dead of a brain aneurysm. And what did the young people think? Oh, that would never happen to me. It happened to her. Why can't it happen to you? You say, Pastor, are you just using fear tactics? No, I'm not. I'm talking reality. I'm talking reality. And so if you're here this morning and think, Pastor, well, I know the difference, I know the truth, but I've got time. No, you don't. It's another lie of the devil to keep you blind. You have no guarantee. You have this moment and that's it. You may not even have time to walk out the door. There have been people that have dropped dead in church, not just because of the long sermon either. They just dropped dead. <laughs> it's true. I was preaching once. The medic came in. Somebody had a heart attack. The med medics came in. They took out nine people before they found the one. I said, no, no, they're just asleep. They're not dead. They're just asleep. <laughs> but do you hear me this morning, friends? That's the reality. You see, what do we do in our human nature? We hear something like that, and it's, oh, that's sad. And we're sincere. Oh, that's so shocking. That's so shocking. And the Holy Spirit says, that might be you. What do you mean? Don't keep putting it off. That's my love showing you. You still have time, but you don't know how much time you have. When I played lacrosse, I played the Nationals for Nova Scotia, and we, we had a great tournament. We were up in Peterborough. Uh, we, we came back home. The guys, we had a great time on the flight. What a wonderful experience it was. We were still just on a high from that, from that wonderful event. Two days later, I get a phone call from the coach. He says, Mike and Sparky are dead. Or Bucky, rather, we'd call him Bucky. His name was Mike. Bucky was our goalie. Sparky was our, one of our players. He said, they're just walking along the side of the road, and a drunk driver hit them, both of them, 17 years old, dead. You want to think that didn't snap you into reality as a young man, sitting in that funeral service? The Lord says in all of our lives, he has placed a Malchus's ear that we might understand. That life is brief, that God is real, that salvation is for everyone, but you've got to be careful that you don't just become a Judas, whether in a hardened heart or just an attitude of turning your back on the Lord at this moment. Instead, you need to have a heart that says, Jesus, I see the evidence that you have given me. I don't need more. I've seen enough. Jesus, I believe. That needs to be your response this morning. In fact, one of the greatest witnesses you will ever have is that person whose life you know has been changed by the love and power of God. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, I would say it's very likely that you know somebody, maybe even somebody you came with or somebody attends this church, and you know they're not just a religious person. You know they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not the same person that they used to be. You can actually see they're different. Jesus is living his life through them. That's proof that Jesus gives to you. And you have a choice. Just like Caiaphas did. Because we were all like Caiaphas at one point in our lives. Every one of us. Until we acknowledged the truth that Jesus showed us. We all had to decide whether to keep holding on to our empty religion, keep holding on to our own philosophies, or keep holding on to what we think is control in our lives, even though every single one of us know in the back of our minds that whatever control we think we have, it can be lost in a moment. We know that. And yet we fool ourselves into thinking that we've got more time. 
Caiaphas thought he was holding on to a good thing by rejecting Jesus, but the truth is that in rejecting Jesus, he's rejecting the only hope he ever had of finding true freedom from the oppression of the enemy that was there. And yet Jesus understands. He understands our fear of letting go. He understands our fear of trusting him because he understands that we've been living a life so long that's broken, a life sometimes of darkness, a life of confusion and frustration where life just doesn't seem to work, but it's the norm for us. And we just think, well, this is just the way life is. And we can be blinded to the freedom and the new life that Jesus brings. And yet he works in our lives in such a way he shows us things. He shows us evidence. He gives us a witness that life can be different. But we have to let go of the power we think we have. We have to let go of this life that we think we have. Because as Jesus said in another scripture, until you die. He said it's like a, a grain of wheat. Until that grain goes into the ground and it dies, it will never become what it's meant to be. And in the same way for all of us, until we say, Jesus, I may not know everything you have in store for me, but my spirit within me says, oh, I want more. I've been made for more than this. And I can sense that you're calling me to yourself. I'm willing to let die what I think is life, that I might actually begin to blossom and flower into everything that you've made for me and everything you would do in and through my life. That's what faith is. It's not wishful thinking. It's looking at the evidence of what Jesus shows us, what Jesus shows around us, and say, Jesus, I want that for me. And so I surrender myself to you. And so the Lord gives each of us a sign. It may be a miracle. It may be a message that speaks directly to our personal need for him. And the reason the Lord does that is so that we can come to the point that we can say with confidence, Jesus, I see the proof. I don't need any more. I've seen enough. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in you. I'm going to ask the musicians to join me. We're going to prepare for the Lord's table. If you make that decision this morning, Jesus said this. He said, all those who stand before others and say they believe in me, I will say before the angels of God that they belong to me. That's powerful. Jesus says, if you will say before others that you believe in me, then I will say even before the angels of God that you belong to me. You are mine. Will you bow your heads for a moment? Every head bowed. I'm not going to prolong this service because there is absolutely nothing I can do to convince you of anything. You have to decide whether or not you'll be honest with the Holy Spirit and what he's speaking to you right now. Maybe we bring the lights up just a tiny bit. Every head is bowed. I want to ask you this morning, if you are here and you say, Pastor, I have never surrendered my life to Jesus, but I know what you're talking about. I know he's real. I've heard him speak to my heart. I've seen the change he's brought in people's lives that I know. I know that he's real. And I want to confess this morning that I believe in Jesus. I want to receive him this morning for the first time as my Savior. We may all be believers here this morning, but every head is bowed just for a moment. If you're here and say, I want to accept Jesus this morning, I acknowledge what he's done for me. Would you just raise your hand? 
Just raise your hand and leave it there for a moment so I can see. Is there anyone at all this morning? Yes. Is there anyone else this morning? Just raise your hand quickly. Say, Pastor, this morning, I'm not going to put it off anymore. Maybe you've come to this church for a long time, but you've never made the commitment to stand for Jesus. I want to ask you, will you do that this morning? Is there anyone else before we leave here today? I want to receive Jesus. Thank you. Bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Yes. I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. It's not one I've memorized. It's just from my heart. It's just opening your heart to Jesus. The Bible says that if you believe in Jesus and you confess with your mouth that he died for your sins and rose again to give you new life, then you will be saved. You will be saved out of that worthless life in an instant transaction takes place in the spirit realm and you are born again. I want to pray that prayer and I want you to pray that with me. Everyone's going to pray it together. Then we're going to share around the Lord's table. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you come. We'll give you instruction in a moment. You come and take these emblems as well. And you join with us because you're part of the family of God. And then we conclude the service. I'm going to ask those who are helping to serve this, the, the emblems if you'd remain. And I'm going to ask you this morning, if you raised your hand, would you just come back down before you slip out just for five minutes and just stand before one of these couples or myself and say, I just want you to know I prayed that prayer this morning for the first time. And we want to pray with you before you leave today. That's our heart's desire. So we're going to go to the Lord's table in just a moment. But I want to ask you as believers as well. If you're here this morning and you say, yeah, pastor, I, I'm a Christian. I know the Lord. I believe the Lord. And I'll be the first to raise my hand. But how many be honest enough to say, there are things the Lord is challenging me in. There are new things, like Scott shared this morning, there are new things that the Lord wants to grow me in. And he's shown me proof that it's real, that it's something he wants for today. He's doing it in the body. He's doing it. He wants to do it in my life. He wants to challenge me to grow. And yet I just keep putting them off. I just use excuses. No, maybe it's just fear. Lord, that's just not my personality or that's not my gifting. That's not my, whatever the case may be. Friends, that's a Malchus's ear for you. I got to tell you as your pastor, I'm not interested in getting caught up in fads and trends and what's the newest thing. What I am interested in is saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to the church today? What do you want to do in us? What are you preparing us for? What are we heading into as believers in these last days? What kind of people do you want us to be? That's what I want to know. And if it means that I've got to stretch, if it means my theology isn't accommodated, then I've got to change my theology. If it means that I've got to step out of my comfort zone, if it means that I've got to grow in a new way, if I've got to unlearn some things I've learned and learn some new things, you know what? I'll do it. Because there are Malchus's ears in my life as a pastor, as someone who's walked with the Lord for almost 50 years, there's a Malchus's ear in my life, and I've got to say, Lord, regardless of what I think, regardless of how it stretches me, how uncomfortable I may be, I can't deny that it's you. I can't deny it's what your spirit is asking of me. And I've got to be willing in these last years of my life to say, Lord, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to because you've shown me too much to turn back. 
And if that's your heart's desire as a believer this morning as well, you don't need to raise your hand, but I, I want to ask you just to treasure that in your heart for a moment as we come to the Lord's table to recognize this table represents the price that Jesus paid for you and me, not just to get us to heaven, but to be people who possess his life, who possess life today, eternal life, but also possess the Holy Spirit and all the gifts that he comes to bring. And it's a travesty for us to be jars of clay that contain the glory and the presence of God and to live as people who are just religious, to live as people who don't allow that presence to flow through us because we might feel uncomfortable, we might have to grow. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Lord, stretch me, grow me, amen? New wine, stretch these old wineskins. Let me just have a greater capacity of your Holy Spirit ministry in me. We're going to be praying about that tonight at the prayer center. I'm going to ask the brethren to come as we prepare to receive the emblems. And if you're visiting this morning, what we simply do in a moment, we'll stand. Just follow the person to your right. We have a section here, the middle and the other section, and balcony as well. Just follow the person to your right. You're going to come down in the line. Just receive a, a cup of juice and a piece of bread. And just hold on to that as you go back to your seat. We'll conclude our service in sharing the bread and the wine together. Amen.